Hey everybody, welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. This episode is brought to you, strangely enough, by another podcast. <laughs> F1 Fast and Loose with Will Arnett. Do you like listening to the sound of Will Arnett's voice? Yes. Do you want to listen to him talk about Formula One racing? Because Maybe. now you can. Formula One drivers live life in the fast lane on and off the track. And Wondry's new podcast, Fast and Loose F1, hosted by Will Arnett, is here to cover it all. From McLaren to Ferrari to Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton to Daniel Ricciardo, the world's most prestigious and fastest F1 teams challenge each other on the world stage. And on Fast and Loose F1, you'll hear from those drivers, managers, and teams team owners who get inside access into the high-stakes drama of the chase to win the world's greatest racing competition. Smartless co-host Will Arnett will be joined by two-time world champion, the flying fin, Mika Hakkinen, baller, revealing the high-speed twists and turns after every Formula One race. Listen to Fast and Loose F1 on Amazon Music or wherever you get podcasts, or listen ad-free by subscribing to Wondry Plus in the Wondry app. Hey folks, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Berryman Automotive. You know, although you can walk into an auto parts store and find hundreds of lubricants and additives, sealers and parts cleaners, but only one company has made hundreds of those products for over a century, and that's Berryman. Whether you're a professional mechanic or a do-it-yourselfer or somewhere in between, the Berryman name has been synonymous with performance-enhancing solutions like their industry gold standard B. 12 chem tool fuel additives made with Berryman's exclusive high energy solvent technology or HEST. Hundreds of solutions and a hundred years of experience, all from one company that's Berryman Products, all American made since 1918. Berryman remains committed to producing products that meet the highest standards of performance, reliability, and environmental responsibility. In fact, here at my business, Westside Collector Car Storage, where we record this podcast. We store over a hundred cars. Many of them are in our long-term care. And over that amount of time, if you've heard this in the past from someone else or myself, fuel can go bad. The chemical compounds can break down and gunk up your fuel system. And that's why we use Berryman's fuel stabilizing products and fuel system cleaning products here in our cars to keep these cars ready to drive uh, and have clean strong fuel systems every time their owners want to take them out. So you'll find Berryman at all major automotive retailers or check them out at BerrymanProducts.com. That's B-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N Products.com. We're also brought to you today by Off the Record, OTR, baby. Do not participate in the ecosystem that they want you to participate in. Don't plead guilty when you get a speeding ticket or other moving violation. Call Off the Record. In fact, I use the word call, but you don't really have to call. You can go to offtherecord.com slash TST or download the Off the Record app and use code TST10. Off the Record will set you up with a quality qualified attorney in the area where you got that ticket the jurisdiction if you if you choose to say it that way 
and they will fight that ticket on your behalf. You don't have to appear in court, and that way, when they get those points off your record, you now are saving money on insurance, because they will jack your insurance rates if you get a ticket and plead guilty to it. That's why you got to call off the record. They have saved so many of our fans' money. I regularly, and I'm talking about once a week, get an email from somebody who used off the record and is calling or emailing to thank me for introducing them because it's such an easy service. Once you've got the app or once you log in, all you got to do is upload a ticket uh, via a photo from your camera phone or a scan, and they will handle the rest. It's super easy. It's affordable. And with code TST10 on the app or offtherecord.com slash TST on the web, we will save you 10% on all off-the-record legal services from now until 2025. Love having these guys around. If I get pulled over, I'm confident that it's not going to become a problem later. Off the record is the official ticket fighter, ticket fighter connector of the Smoking Tire podcast. All right, folks, today I am in Chamani with my pal Alex Roy, and we are talking about autonomy. Is it real? Is it fake? Is it coming? Is it not coming? And whatever else we can come up with while whipping down the freeway in an Alpina B8 Grand Coupe going to a secret meeting south of Munich. It's Alex Roy on the Smoking Tire Podcast. But here we are. Look at this fucking setting beautiful. in the Alps. Thank you for setting it up with my back to the view. <laughs> You want to switch? Do you no, want to? No, I like this. It's 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 not so we can have the view. It's so they can have the view, and you have this beautiful halo, this glow. Thank you. On you, you know, room three hundred three. You know who else had a uh, a glow? Was uh, the Russian oligarch <laughs> in his uh, lake house this morning before the police arrived? Dude, so we are in uh, Tegernsee, Tegernsee, Germany, in Bavaria. On this beautiful lake, Austria is, you could basically see Austria. Those tops of those mountains back there is Austria. And this is like uh, the German Riviera. It's like the German Lake Como. It is the German Lake Como. Kind of, right? Yes, nice. It's nice. This hotel is beautiful. And last night we were having dinner in town. I noticed some, some new construction, pointed it out. It turns out the new homes that had been constructed there were an oligarch who was raided this morning. <laughs> That's the guy. Same That's guy. the guy. Same Bozy. So Bozy looked it up. That's the guy's houses. Raided hundred a hundred uh, like Interpol uh, <laughs> officers right down the street from our beautiful hotel here in Tegern C. I'm sure. I'm sure he's innocent of all charges. <laughs> I'm sure he, he was framed. I'm sure I'm nobody's sure. been harboring anybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure he had no classified material or anything, or anything of any kind. Nothing. Um, so we're at a we're at a, a conference of sorts, a thing. How much are we? I don't. Are we allowed to talk about? I it? spoke to Riley this yeah, morning. Yeah. We're allowed to talk about where we are and yeah. what is going on here. But not who's present. No names and no each, and no quotes. Other, other than obviously other than each other, each other, JF and Bozy. Or the, the present influencers. And you know, so if by that standard, those, those four people are present. Be like, so what's the difference between this and any other event? Nothing. <laughs> no difference. Um, but he said we could say what it is and where we're at. And mm. uh, it's it's uh, you've been here before. So how would you describe? This is my first time here. Uh, so you know, there are for people who don't attend trade conferences. There's my a, first time doing that. By so the way. there's a circuit. You know, there's a circuit. 
of conferences for every vertical has them in transportation there are a lot of different transportation conferences and uh, and then and they're generally open they're open to the public but the tickets could be several thousand dollars to attend and in my experience those conferences are not a good value because it's the same talking heads every time and it's consultants who are looking for work in corporations who have enormous expense budgets to send people to listen to consultants who want to get hired. I don't believe those, I don't, I hate those conferences. And I've spoken at some and they're, just, they're pointless. However, this event run by Riley Brennan and Rob Conabier, um, Riley has a venture capital fund called Trucks.VC. And He's Conabier, been on the show before, he was very interesting. Yeah, he's great. And, uh, and Conabier has a fund called Shasta Ventures. This is uh, an outlier. And I, I don't. There they are. There they are walking by right now, <laughs> Riley. <laughs> and so this event um, is fifty people. Uh, it's invitation only. Uh, a handful of people are asked to present. I've presented in the past, although I, I, I find that very funny because the other people to me are just another level. And uh, it's a no, It's you know. You have some government officials, you have the CEOs of some very major companies, and the CEOs and founders of startups um, who get to meet each other and talk under Chatham House rules. So I never heard that term. Do you know the origin of that term? I'm going to speculate the man was named Chatham. <laughs> Basically what it means is no one's allowed to record anything, no video, no audio. This, this us on the balcony by ourselves is the only recording I'm doing here mm. other than an Alpina B8 review. <laughs> and uh, no one gets to, you can, you can use information that you've learned here and discuss things that you've learned, but you can't attribute it to any particular source. Yes. I don't Off know the origins of that, but I've heard that term like 10 times today. And they're very strict about it. One time years ago, somebody, I think, shared the invitation, invitee list externally. Yeah. They're banned for life. Uh -huh. uh, and, and good. Because that's one of the problems with a lot of the conferences that are meant to be professional, is that no one will actually say anything true. They repeat the same like uh, PR you know, talking points, and they won't answer a direct question. And here, people will. They will. Yeah. So in the past, have you? Because this is like your, what? How many times have you been here? Fourth, third, third. I think. Have you like learned like revelatory information, or has it just been like, oh, that's interesting, what people are actually doing? Uh, I don't know if I learned anything revelatory, but the people I met and the conversations I had were of another level. Uh -huh. So you know, when you go to, I mean, there's you know the debate between you know. Uh, remote work and office work sure. and the value of the water cooler. Uh, I've never seen a study which quantified the value of the water cooler, but in my opinion, there's a lot of work which is best done solitary and remote, but there are critical things can only ever be done in person. Yeah. And there are some collaborative things, creative things that are best done in person. And the same thing is true of networking. If you are go to a conference with 6,000 attendees, you don't know where to go to meet someone by by chance. Yeah, yeah. And if you know exactly where they are and you get there and 50 other people want to meet them, you might not even get a word in. Yeah. Here, you have over the course of three days, 50 people, and the goal is that everyone meets each other yeah. and has a chance to talk. That's neat. So the for a value of time, like the ROI on my time coming here, yeah. it's 
incalculably better yeah. than any other event in sector. The only other event I've ever attended which would come close would be, um, you know, uh, Mobility Week in Tel Aviv, uh, run by uh, Maniv Mobility, is a a like Riley's Fund, probably one of the probably the two most important and best seed stage funds investing in transportation. Mm -hmm. Many mobilities, the other one. Uh, and they're in Tel Aviv and they have like a party. Interesting. Where it's very similar. And it, you hear, you know, uh, was when you hear about things like uh, these retreats that like private equity firms or other like verticals hold, you imagine, you wonder what goes on there. It's like this. Okay. Really this is so the first of any of these type. Like I've never been to like a networking thing. I've never been to a conference or that. And when when Riley told me about this one, I was like interested enough. And then when I, I it seemed like the kind of thing that was like like I straight up like I spent a lot of my own money to come here. Like there's no they didn't sure. they didn't it's not a, sure. it's not like a gig like. Yeah. It was it was it, it time consuming and very expensive for me to get to Bavaria this week. So, I'm excited to like you know learn some things. And I'm because a lot of the kind of people that are here are in industries that I am generally very skeptical of. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like want to have my mind changed. Well, you know, it's it, it's because you are an educated skeptic that I think Riley wanted you here. And I'm totally in support of you being here because, you know, in general, it it seems that there's this binary thing. You either believe in technology or you don't. You either love driving or you don't. And that things are just being placed on both ends because so many topics in our society today are framed as you're in or you're out, yeah. right or wrong. And you are, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your friend, but you are one of the only people out there who loves the same things I do who is intelligently attempting to dissect the statements of the tech sector yeah. as they announce with apparent, with, with the, I, what do you call it, um, the promise of the inevitability of various futures, right. these things. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing inevitable about technology um, except that uh, someone's gonna figure it out. Uh, it, and the question that remains is, you know, is it going to be in a way we like or not? Right. Cars were, I mean, someone was going to invent the car. Many people invented cars. Yeah. Was It wasn't predetermined that they would be, um, that they would shape culture the way they did. They could have no. shaped it very differently. And I read in, uh, in Paris Marx's book, yeah. you know, about, about, um, uh, the the jitneys where it was like first there was the car then yeah. then there became mm -hmm. these sort of gypsy cabs mm -hmm. then that you know that then the, then they figured out a way to regulate that and, and 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 there's economies on economies on economies and and the world they managed to get government intervention you know to shape our streets around the car mm -hmm. and not vice versa so well there's a i mean I don't know if there's a singular book which explains this, but you can cl see very clearly that the cities on the East Coast and the Northeast, which are the first to be settled, and the oldest in the United States, look very different from the yeah. ones that are w out the, West. Pre-car and yeah. post-car. It's yeah. very clear. Yeah. And those political, the, I guess the, the mobile political alignments, I don't know how, what, what the word is, if there is a word, um, 
mean that some things are much harder to change than others right. in different places. Yeah. Uh, but I love, you know, there's um, a guy named Brent Todarian, I think you pronounce his name. He's a Canadian, the former transportation official on Twitter. And he loves showing pictures of Amsterdam in the 60s uh -huh. and early 70s packed with cars. Packed with yeah. cars, right. And so, yeah. and so you see, things can change. Yeah. Well, of is, course things It is possible, yeah, to turn, possible to turn the tide. Yeah. yeah. And um, the other, you know, yesterday I recorded a podcast with um, Jesse Singer, the author of the book, There Are No Accidents. Uh -huh. And she... Referring uh, to car accidents. Well, yes, but she actually says that in general there are no accidents. That her book began with an exploration of why there's no such thing as a car accident. There are yeah. car crashes. Right, right. Um, and you can always you can always yeah. trace the blame to something, yes. whether it's human error, road design, vehicle design, etc. So she, she would Some say, kind of conscious decision was made that set that in motion. in motion. So right. she would argue, and you should have her on your show, let her speak for herself, um, that uh, for any tragedy, there is a layered causality. Mm -hmm. That... Someone, based on a lens or some agenda, will always want to place blame on a singular thing, but no singular thing can ever is ever solely responsible because if something else in the chain of causality had been done differently and the person made a mistake, the crash might not have happened. Right, right. Therefore, the person is not solely responsible. And to place ev blame for every crash on humans doesn't make sense because we are capable of learning, yeah. inventing, and innovating and and improving our own skills correct. as well. So I asked her, I said, well, what if we just improved our driver education in this country? How much more would that change? She's like, I don't know, but even the countries with the best driver education have crashes, but they also have, in m many cases, a system yeah. approach to problems as opposed to individualized blame approach. Well, that's my entire attitude towards autonomous vehicle research is one, they always seem to refer to this hypothetical average driver uh, yeah. as if that was a static thing that couldn't be moved. Right. If we if we make computers as good as the average driver, but we improve the average driver yeah. to be as good as a racing driver, <laughs> well, that would be better, wouldn't it? Right. And that plus, um, there we, we have so much technology and knowledge available now that there are things we could do to reduce road deaths without requiring inventing, inventing of a whole new technology and without requiring removing humans from the system. Mm. I think there well, are humans who <laughs> want to be removed from the system because they'd rather be texting or doing whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, uh, you and I come from the same camp. I love driving and yeah. I I work in autonomous vehicles, but I, and I, but I also believe in the permanence of humans driving cars somewhere at some time. Uh, the only question for me is whether the people who've been exaggerating capabilities of AV and the timelines for AV will harm the those who are trying to responsibly and honestly develop AV. Uh, there, I mean, the inevitability of AV for me is, is like not even a, an issue. Because um, like, I, mean, I, I, I listen to the Dollop podcast a lot mm -hmm. and it's, and you know, it's, it's, it's a funny it's done by people who are from a comedy background, but it's a, a funny but researched look at our history and cultural figures. And they did one on the Soylent guy, the guy who invented the so just that gray yeah. shake that you yeah. drink. And he would go on and on about how you could 
say it's these new nutrients and eating is a waste of time and you could be much more well and it turns out the guy was like the worst cook ever hated food hated the i didn't even like to taste things like didn't enjoy food and so I see that as like, are the people developing AVs, do they hate driving like this guy hated food? I think some of them do. Some of them probably do, you know, right? But I, I also know many of them who own great cars. Yeah. And are like waiting to buy a great car. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, this car enthusiast, I mean, this car enthusiast the company where I work, and they do exist at other companies. I can't speak for all companies because I wouldn't pretend to speak for the sector. Uh, I, I am not a fan of some people working on AV. I'm just not. Um, but it's like uh, it's like anything. If someone's going to build it, I'd rather some it be built by people who um, are patient and not rushing it. Yeah, well, and, sure. And people whose agenda isn't to eliminate drivers are driving yeah it's too well because they don't they don't <laughs> say they want to do that they they it's always it's always to do. improve i guess that's true there yeah. i mean listen there if you go back in time you know three four five years from before i joined the av sector there were companies out there saying no one's going to drive my my kids don't have a license and when i look at i hear that every red flag goes up because even if these things what when these things work reliably in places they're designed to work mm -hmm. and that's great yeah but that doesn't mean that the goal should not be to eliminate driving everywhere someday people i mean look i've been i've said the same thing for years before i joined the company for which i work which is there's going to be av and then there's going to be in the future av capability on cars we own mm -hmm. and then there has to be something else too which is some form of driver assistance I call augmented driving, which when I'm driving won't let me crash the un while the uncrashable yeah, car, the yeah. uncrashable car that I own, yeah, and control. And so that to me is 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 an end game that I both want and we should have, which is not the binary yeah. point of view foisted on us by people who I think are trying to make headlines and raise money. Yeah, yeah, which drives me crazy. Yeah, and so. In this crowd. And people who see who see fictional movies yeah. and work backwards from there. Yeah, you know it's that's it's a bit of a a funny circle. And you know, um, have you ever met Alex McDowell? Have you heard that name? Is, isn't that the guy from? Isn't that the guy from uh, uh, Clockwork Orange? Yeah, no, that's Roddy. Uh, no, McDowell. Malcolm the, McDowell. Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, that's funny because that's the actor Malcolm McDowell, who also was the bad guy pilot in Blue Thunder. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I also confuse him with Malcolm McLaren, who's the music uh, the uh -huh. music guy. But um, Alex McDowell, what, uh, you know, he would call himself a um, what, like a narrative futurist, uh -huh. uh, and uh, he in his early career designed album covers for like Depeche Mode and Suze the Banshees and, he, and Sex Pistols but uh, he has since become the world's most respected uh, narrative designer so when a science fiction film is being is being written and they need to create a realistic a future yeah. so he designed all the interfaces of Minority Report okay right right and he also I think we've talked about this before yeah. maybe the last time you were on the show and either. so he 
um, what he does is he goes and speaks to researchers and scientists in various fields and then tries to place human beings in a world where those things exist mm. and work and then work backwards. Like, well, would they actually want it? Yeah. Would they like it? And if it went wrong, what would they do? And that is reflected in those films. And in what is a, making drawing a circle, then other people out there, venture capitalists and founders, look at those films and they're like, well, that's how it should be. Right, right, right. <laughs> right or wrong. That, yeah. Obviously. And you should ask him yourself how he feels about some of those futures um, because he has a lot to well, say. He must be frustrated when people take his fictionalized future and then, and, and, and then decide that that's what reality is going to be. Because his fictionalized future fits the, the written narrative of a movie. When, and many, a lot of science fiction is written uh, as a warning. Yeah. As it, all of, you know, Philip K. Dick, he wrote Blade Runner, yeah. and the book is, the film is very different from the book, although the film is great, and the book, maybe the film might be better than the book, but every one of his stories, is they're not meant to be science fiction. They're like humans in future bad scenario yeah. stories. And all yeah, a lot of a lot of great like the the Running Man, yeah. where where prisoners become entertainment in a post-apocalyptic LA. Even Demolition Man, which yeah. is a comedy, yeah. is after the big quake, yeah. super surveillance, yeah. hyper uh, censorship. Everyone needs Taco Bell. Taco, Taco Three, Bell yeah. wins the franchise Three wars. Shells. No one has sex. Do you know <laughs> like, you know that I have the, the, yeah, the Demolition Man. Well, I have a, in my house. I have a Demolition Man themed bathroom. With three, and I wait, it has three seashells. We discussed this, but it also has it <laughs> over the toilet. It has a picture of Wesley Snipes in costume, like doing this like thrusting <laughs> motion that looks like he's pissing. And I have a real a storyboard from the movie where they break, where they blow out the window in the Pony in the Oldsmobile four four two, which in the storyboard is a Pontiac GTO, not a four four two, but. Hannah wanted a themed bathroom in our new house, and so I got a themed bathroom also. <laughs> Her themed bathroom is hot dogs, and my themed Ew. bathroom is demolition. <laughs> I, I use your it's bathroom. very fucking silly. Have you watched this um, YouTube channel called The Critical Drinker? No, but it sounds exactly <laughs> like something I would really the like. The Critical Drinker is, I think if he, well, he reviews movies and TV shows and he does a whole thing about Demolition Man uh -huh. where he's like, I, I don't know if he says, like, I think he says, it's like, this is the last good movie to come out of Hollywood because it's it's not afraid to offend. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, a genuine satire of everything about science fiction. Yeah. It, it's, uh, anyway, you should check it's out that a, channel. That movie has aged yeah. shockingly well. Yeah. And I don't know if I talked about this on a previous podcast, but I found uh, the... The, the props the the print the tickets when you curse <laughs> they went for auction really and it was in one of those Hollywood auctions it was a pair of them and there was very little description about what the the prop physically did I mean we know what it did in the movie you'd swear and it'd go ar, ar, and print you've been you're in violation of the verbal morality and print a ticket I don't know what the the machine itself did they said it lit up but besides that we don't know oh don't sting me be and the pre-auction estimate was like 1500 And I was like, I, am, I have a Demolition Man-themed bathroom. It's like, if I, imagine I turned one of these into an actual toilet paper dispenser. It would be amazing. I was like, I'm feeling silly. I'm in up to 3500 which really means five grand. 
which is way too much money to spend on something so dumb. But I was like, but who has a Demolition Man themed bathroom? So why not go all in, right? I was a, I, so I registered as a phone bidder. You ever bid on something on the phone? It's kind of fun. You get a little helper. They call you when it's time. So it's this lady, they call me. Okay, you're up next. And I'm listening to the, the auctioneer in the background. Okay, okay, you're up next. Do you want to go in? I go, I'll, I'll wait just a minute. She goes, you tell me. I'm, I'm on your team here. I'm, there's no, she goes, you, you tell me. And I go, okay, look, I'm, I'm in for like 3500 But if, if, the, if the bidding gets real hot, you know, maybe I'll go up to five. And she goes, okay, cool. Sounds good. No problem. She goes, okay, it's open, opening at 12. 16, 18, 2,000. This is her talking to me. 2,500, 3,500, 4,500, five grand, six grand, seven grand. I'm like, what? And she, it, was, it was that fast. I mean, it was, it was 30 seconds. And I go, she goes, are you out? And I go, oh, I'm, I'm out. And I go, but can I stay on the phone and listen what this thing is? She goes, of course. $13,800 plus buyer's premium. It ended up being like almost 16,000 bucks for these fucking things. I, of course, do not have them. Someone else had the same idea as me, but has way more money to spend. Interesting. You know, I think that that might become a lot more valuable in the future. If you think about the way this <laughs> I country... I almost bought Anthony Bourdain's watch, too. Oh, that, and that's probably priceless. It, I know. I should have spent the fucking money. I bailed out, and I should have spent the money on it. What watch was it? It was a Panerai. Mm. And, he, it, and it's, it appears in many key oh, episodes... Priceless. And I bailed out at like twelve grand, and it went for thirty. And I think that was still a steal. I just didn't have the money. Hmm. Yeah. That dispenser, though. Yeah. So depending on, you know, no matter what happens in this country in the future politically, but especially if the country or if elections move to the right, that thing is going to be priceless because there is what was wonderful about Demolition Man is it came out at a time where one could still make fun of both sides of an argument yeah. from either side yeah. and laugh together with the other side no matter which side you're making fun of. Yeah. Whereas today, a lot of people are incapable of poking fun at themselves and and or laughing with the opposition about something yeah. that's agnostic. Yeah. It's like you can only laugh with your tribe about something that hurts the other. Sure. As opposed to let's laugh, can we all just laugh together about something? Yeah. And then that laughter unveils the underlying irony or injustice or whatever, and then bring us a little closer together. That movie still did that. It and yeah, and yeah. that prop yeah. is a, and that is prop a is crucial. a symbol. It's a physical symbol yeah. of the ability to be agnostic and come together over irony, hypocrisy, and humor. Yeah, which is something that I think is evaporating. Although I'm going to be an optimist and say I think we can have that back. It's it's so. interesting about that film because that film has like the bad guy. Is like a fascist lefty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like a hyper fascist yeah. uh, lefty, and then and the, the and then the other bad guy is is us. Yeah. What is what is Wesley Snipes says? How you use this place? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and Dennis Leary's like, all right with yeah. you know, all right like, with it. Yeah, I like it already. Yeah, yeah. Uh oh, we need that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, another, that's another thing about that movie is that. There's a little bit of us in every character, good or bad. Right. 
And uh, I mean, who does? Everybody wants peace and order and laws. Yeah. But we also don't want to all eat Taco Bell, <laughs> and we also want to curse. Yeah, yeah. And we don't, and we'd like to have sex, and we don't want to use three seashells. Right. So like, we don't even know. <laughs> yeah. We don't even know how to use we, them. We just know we don't want to be told we have to do something that we already know how to do a different yeah. way. I'll tell you though, when so. someone goes into the bathroom and sees three, I can hear them laughing from behind the closed <laughs> door. Though it's, it it's, is funny it's to forever. have three seashells in your bathroom. Um, but to just to talk about the cars in that in that film yeah. the cars have a self drive and then a human driven option mm-hmm. and you they say he she says like self drive or whatever and then mm-hmm. and uh, and i think that, that that binary i drive now you drive and then at the the crucial sequence in the movie someone has to wrestle control away from the computer and find an old school non-connected car yeah. to do the thing with to save yeah. the day I feel like that is that is potentially a metaphor for what we are going to see well you know I I object to all this middle ground where people don't know it's called like, technical terms mode confusion uh-huh. where people they may not necessarily know how much automation is working at any one time and whether or not they can trust it is bad <laughs> it's not good yeah although I will say you know I rented a um Opal Mocha? Now, you've pronounced it Mocha, but it's spelled M-O-K-K-A. Mocha? I think it might be Mocha. Okay. So, <laughs> the Opal Mocha is like a little crossover, and I had no expectations or and no optimism about any driving assistance functions. Um, and because other than, uh, you know, Super Cruise, GM Super Cruise, and Tesla Autopilot... Um, and I haven't driven Ford uh, Blue Cruise. Yeah, I just uh, got Blue Cruise update on my Mach-E. You like it? Is it doing It's anything? not quite as good as Super Cruise. Uh-huh. Super Cruise is excellent, yeah. actually. Yeah, I like it. It's really, really yeah. great. It knows where it should work, knows where it shouldn't work, and in the places it should work, it works flawlessly. So, so Super Cruise on. and Autopilot, very different. I feel, I think I know how they work. And I enjoy using both of them, and they're very different. Uh, and uh, and so I have no expectation of anyone else's ADAS or driver to, to, to do anything I like ever. So I generally don't even bother trying. Mm. So I turn on the Opal uh, Mocha lane keeping uh, and uh, you know cruise control because Opal's GM here. Is it? Yes. Okay. Opal so, is GM in Germany. So it's it, it's somebody's off the shelf system. I don't know whose uh, whose uh, hardware or software is in the car. Um, and it worked well. I was surprised. And it was one of these, um, I, I don't know if, uh, I guess it's called like a, you, you can activate the lane, key, you turn lane keeping on, and lane keeping engages and disengages on its own when it can. Oh. So you pretty much have to keep your hands on the wheel. But what's nice about it is that you can, you know, if you take your hand off for a second, like scratch your nose, it'll generally hold the lane yeah. reliably. And I, I thought that even though it's a kind of passive system, it be, that it actually is assisting me in a way that's helpful, but doesn't let me rely on it too much, so my hands are always in the wheel, which is kind of how it should be. Um, and so uh, one of the folks you're going to meet here at the event is um, Liza Dixon, who invented the are term... Are allowed to talk about her being here? Well, it's too late. I just mentioned her. Um, the, the godmother, if not the mother, of the term washing. And um, she is 
you know, a really important person because she gave a, 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 a name to an idea that is bad. Greenwashing came first, right? Greenwashing she came first. From greenwashing. Yeah. And yeah. so she wrote a paper on Atana washing, which is now, it is, which narrowed like a laser. Yeah. Um, and identified the problem with so many driver assistance systems, which uh, lull people into a false sense of security and lead to new types of crashes. Well, that's why I wrote this, like, after using Super Cruise, and it is really good, I couldn't figure out a good reason for it to exist unless it was for you to play with your phone right. or answer a text. But you just, can't. But you're not supposed to. Right. But you can. But you're not supposed to. But you kind of can. Can you kind of? Kind of can. In the, uh, so I drove, the one I drove years ago, it was, it didn't let you read your phone long enough to be useful. It did. It does not let you read your phone long enough to be useful. It does let you look at your phone long enough to read a text and respond. Hmm. Um, it, it. But even okay, even with the driver monitoring system, it doesn't let you do that. Mm -hmm. But you can't. Your hands don't need to be on the wheel, but they can't be anywhere else. Right. What are What are you, what are you supposed to be doing right. now? You know, and and we know from research from very smart people mm -hmm. that humans are better at just doing the thing than we are at watching a computer do the thing and being immediately ready to take over in an emergency if mm -hmm. something goes wrong. Right. I mean, unless you're professionally trained, and even if they even are, then, you have to give them time limits and like yeah. boundaries and and do it well. Even it didn't they didn't haven't multiple AV research companies. I mean, not to mention uh, Elaine Hertzberg uh, incident with uh, the Uber thing. Um, multiple AV research companies have, have determined that even the professionals, when they're put in the car without a, without a co-driver, mm -hmm. can get distracted and start playing with their phones and shit, right? The, the only way to do it right, uh, you know, uh, there's SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, has, uh, I think it's called a J3018, mm -hmm. which is the best practices list. Like, yeah. if you're going to test on public roads, uh, here's the way to do it. Um, here's like, there's like boundaries, training requirements, uh, and then there's a thing called AVSC, which is the Autonomous Vehicle Safety Consortium, mm -hmm. which uh, comprises many, but not all of the AV companies, um, which is very, so like the Venn diagram of the two best practices lists are very close. And uh, there's, limits on how much time you would spend behind the wheel, how much time you, how many breaks you get. So yes, obviously. Yeah. No, no, I've been through all that training and I have failed it multiple times. <laughs> and so. Uh, I would love to try that training. I think that could probably be arranged. Is it, is it how, how long is the standard training program take? Is it like weeks or is it? It's week. It, it uh, it's no less than a month. Really? And with frequent retraining. Uh, but I think you can get a feel for it. There should be. I, I, Someone should put on a, 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 a sample course for journalists that's like two or three days in the style of a press launch yeah. where we at least get an idea of what the professionals should have to go through. I think it'd be very... I'd love to I'll look it. into that. I, I would support I would, that. I would love to try it. And at least then I would be able to go... When I, when I yell at these stupid people with Tesla full self-driving that they spend <laughs> money on... And they think they're testing. You know, they're obviously not testing. But I'd like to at least know what it does really mean to test. You've seen the Moody Hikmet videos? Of course. 
I just did Ed and Moody's podcast. Oh, last week. Yeah. Mm. We didn't talk about any of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Moody's videos uh, on that, uh, you know, RFSD beta testers testing. Authoritative. Authoritative and, and, and straightforward. Yes. It's not like he needs a bunch of scientific jargon to make his point. Correct. Testing is a very... The word testing describes a very specific set of scientific protocols that are not hard to understand. And it's very obvious that if you pay for something and then are just turned loose on the road after a disclaimer with no back and forth connection between you and the engineers, you are not tested. So, you know, I, I fully agree. I was trying to ha explain this to someone who, of course, didn't want to hear anything I had to say, even though I... You know, it's not just, like you work in the industry. Yeah, it's not like I, I, I own a Tesla and, and I love it. I mean, like, um, the, uh, you know, anyone who's used Waze knows that if you're driving and something and you pass a police car, in order for you to enter the data yeah. accurately, you have like one second to do it accurately. Yeah. And if the police car is on the opposite side in motion, there's no way to tag it as such. Yeah. So... And you have, when you tag police location and ways, multiple options. It's yeah. like same direction, opposite direction. Uh, but if you don't tag it right away and you're in motion, yeah. you've already moved it's past already the already an inaccurate It's already wrong. Yeah. So why... Do you think ways, by the way, I don't want to come back to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Do you think they make that harder than it needs to be intentionally? I don't know. It's I, not a great system. And it hasn't iterated or improved no, ever. But go on. All right. So... <laughs> uh, so... The reason Waze is not 100% foolproof is it's only as accurate as the inputs of users, and it's only as um, the density and recency of users right. determines its usefulness to you. So if no one is driven ahead of you in that location in the middle of the night, there could be a cop there you wouldn't know. Right. Therefore, it's not 100% foolproof. Imagine if Waze was the interface for a safety operator of a test AV to enter an edge case. Yeah. Well, guess what? Waze is actually better <laughs> than, at, yeah, than the interface in a Tesla FSD beta car now. Because mm -hmm. if, if I'm in my vehicle with Tesla FSD beta and I want to tag something, there's no choices. It's just tag. tag. That's it. There's no context. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. Which is completely the opposite of the interface for an a test specialist in an Argo vehicle yeah. or a mission specialist in someone else's car. Whatever, yeah. they call, whatever you call them, the task and role and training responsibilities that person in the car is serious and their interface and methods and the notes they take and their notation system and the what they have access to and what the engineers the office have access to has context and meaning and and, and so this is it's just unserious yeah if you think ways is the is will protect you from police then you're as wrong as the people testing <laughs> FSD beta in Tesla's who think they're actually testing. Yeah, if it, all you can yeah, do is yeah. tag no. and then leave it up to some no, 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 remote no. person to figure out what your intent was no, no. <laughs> and then what happened, it, it's, just, it's, it's just not how it it's works. It's unserious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of ways, the um, uh, I had a funny conversation with, every conversation with George Hotz is funny. You know George Hutt? Yeah, have you met, the comma AI guy. Yeah, the comma AI guy. I've never met him, but I, I am familiar with his work. He would be an interesting guest. Yeah, I bet. Uh, he said to me, you know, he said, when I, the day, when I first met him, he said, Alex Roy, I read your book in high school, and I have an idea. You're like, I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, nothing would prevent uh, comma from 
building a system that would be better than Waze in every way. I'm like, how so? We would do police car recognition via camera oh. on the device. He's like, well, no reason we couldn't. And, and then I was like, well, hold on a minute. Like, that is interesting. Yeah. That's, sir, I mean, again, there would be... It would be. It wouldn't be hundred percent foolproof. It would be pretty cool. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. An undercover car might not be recognized. Right. Uh, however, um, I'm just moving this. Watch your foot. Sorry. It's it's lift your right it, foot it, up real quick. It's certainly. You can see that you know how far there is to go, iterating every technology. There's not like nothing's really mature except maybe the elevator, and even elevators have. There's still things that could be you done. You still have to do service calls sometimes. Yeah, so yeah. The, what truly drives me crazy is, um, although I, I consider myself like very much like a, a, a humanist, I believe in the value of humans, the dignity humans need to feel, and the self-respect, uh -huh. and sense of purpose people need to have, of course. But I also feel like technology is inevitable. In between, is like on the continuum is, is technology good or bad for us? We know from social media that the... Was in, that people who thought it was going to bring us together and bring build consensus were, were wrong. wrong. <laughs> but we also know that it isn't because social media is inherently bad. It's because the algorithms behind some of the big platforms were not meant to bring us together. Right. They might have been, but it was decided they would not. Yeah. And so, what is the transportation version of that? And how can we make you know, AV or anything else good and not bad? And that's why when people say. This will be solved next year. This could be anything. I mean, I, I don't want to, it's not about Tesla because people have said this in every vertical but every technology. The solution is right around the corner. Yeah, it's yeah. solvable. The, it's solved. I hate hearing the word solve because um, nothing is ever truly solved. Things are either made better in general or worse. Uh -huh. So there's, um, what's the, who designed the Dymaxion? Uh, Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, Bucky yeah. Fuller. So he, referred to himself as a, a trim tab. He said that if he, you know, it's on his, on his tombstone. The trim tab is on his tombstone? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's it, funny. Or maybe someone made a joke. You know, so I'm forgetting if it's on his tombstone. <laughs> maybe his tombstone just looks like a trim tab. No, no. Uh, my God, John, there's a guy, he's a, one of the last American philosophers, a guy named Josh McManus. You know, I'm, I'll ask Josh. So, Joshua had at his, his profile, he's a big fan of Bucky Fuller, had on his profile on LinkedIn, quote, call me trim tab. And I asked him why, and he's like, I'm a big fan of Bucky Fuller. And it's because, you know, big things are hard to change alone. Yeah. But on a boat, you can trim it. On a plane, you have trim on the, on the wings. And, like, if you can just make a little difference, and enough people do, big things move. Sure. And I think it's really important that we fight all reasonable people fight against exaggerations and overpromises and hype on anything, but not go too There's far. So much money to be made on overpromises. Money isn't like, every. Yeah, of course. No, I'm not yeah. defending it. I'm just saying yeah. that that's the, that's where we're at. Yeah, it is. But you know, we were there in the 20th century, in the 19th sure. century. Yeah, I, I you know I'm a big. I love talking about elevators. And I've been rereading old histories of Otis Elevator. You literally brought the Otis history book to my hotel room with you. Uh, the the, the Otis sons were tough SOBs. The price fixing, the market control, they, you know, they, would, acquire, they would trade shares in, in smaller competitors and then let those competitors stay, quote unquote, independent under their own leadership, but price fix everything. And then come, 
clients would come and get bids from seven companies, they'd own all seven. <laughs> Not tell them. Yeah. And then in order to look like nice guys, they would say, well, you know, if you want to go to one of our six competitors, it's okay. Yeah, it's They're all, right. all okay. No problem. They're all fine. Everyone's but that great. eighth one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those guys are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. They would call it, um, like, uh, I think they referred to competition that they didn't own as slaughter maniacs. Those elevators are dangerous. And you can see echoes of that today where some of the, some of the some of my fellow Tesla owners are out there. Well, FSD beta will solve everything. Yeah. But those other guys, no chance. Yeah. You can see this, you know, this is not helpful. It's not helpful. I just uh, it's it's weird to me when it comes to those people that they don't necessarily because that, that technology, it's weird that people can't separate. This is impressive because a car that can steer itself on a basic course is impressive. It's not, it's not, it's not that it's not impressive, but there's such a gap between, okay, this is impressive and this is actually safe to use yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's only impressive if you don't consider what a human could do because like an eight-year-old could do that in a car like and and humans have to pass like basic tests to operate a car but this software seemingly does not you know uh i can't i can't speak for all companies of course and i'm only representing myself here today uh it's hard to do apples to apples comparisons of any automation in a car. ADAS uh, is easier than AV because you can take two uh, ADAS equipped cars and the side by side in the same place. But it is not possible today to take two AVs side by side in the same place, um, except maybe in San Francisco where like Waymo and Cruise both operate. Mm -hmm. uh, but in order to do an apples to apples comparison, you'd want to have them start out in a closed course <laughs> in an area where have, they both operate. Have 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 two AV development vehicles ever hit each in, other? In, well, no. encountered each other in test zones? Oh, of course, all the time. There's overlap? If you had, I mean, I, listen, I've ridden in not just Argo vehicles, but I think I've ridden in almost every competing vehicle there mm -hmm. is. And if you go to San Francisco and uh, you can, you will, you ride in one, you'll see the others. Okay. They're cruising all, they're at the same intersection, all stop near, near each other. And it's, it's pretty thick there. Yeah? Yeah, AV traffic. Uh, that's the only place in the world, I mean, in, I want to say it's the only place in the world. It's the most, the easiest place in the world to get into an AV and see another one mm -hmm. side by side. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in Vegas, you've got uh, Zooks testing, and you've got Motional has uh, AV Taxi. But they have, uh, what's it called? But they have... Um, does, the Vegas, does the Vegas Taxi Union, how do they feel about that? Vegas Taxi Union's no joke. You know, uh, the vehicles, I honestly don't know, but they the ones I were I was in uh, operated in North Las Vegas, uh -huh. which is less dense yeah. and harder to get a car. And then the other ones, there're not that many of them. Uh, also traffic's really thick. I'm, you know, I'm not entirely I mean, you know, if one were in the AV business, if only I knew someone in the AV business, <laughs> and you were looking at cities where you want to go, there's a lot of criteria. Uh, uh, transit deserts. Right. Lack of access. Um, 
places where humans are not great drivers. So there are some places more dangerous than others. We all know this. Yeah. My insurance in Florida is 25% higher than New York than New York. Because they're horrible down So there. we do know, there are, there's data indicating where people are better drivers than are worse. Yeah, yeah. And the average driver in Florida is clearly not as good as in other places. Yeah. Um, but Vegas is a, is a tough city. Um, and it's probably, in many ways, unique mm-hmm. uh, in that the majority of pickup and drop-offs occur in these hotel valet zones. Mm-hmm. It's not true of every other city. So it's a unique set of problems. Right. I have great respect for companies trying to solve that. Yeah. Uh, and the wait times and pickup and drop-off zones are very complex. Uh, have you been to Vegas Airport recently? Not in the last two years. Why? Have you tried uh, getting a, uh, an Uber or Lyft at LAX recently? Oh, well, yeah. It can be tough. Yo, super tough. It can be unpleasant. It's extremely unpleasant. I don't. I don't personally. The only time I will get an Uber at LAX, and this may be, what they did at LAX is you can't get a curbside Uber anymore, unless it's an Uber Black. Only the black cars can pick you up curbside. Any other Uber, you have to walk or take a shuttle to this lot mm. that's next to Terminal One. Mm. And if you once you do that, which depending on where you are is requires some effort. There's a whole line of yellow cabs, old school yep, yep, yellow cabs. Yep. And now, they're cheaper. Yes. Boom. They're cheaper and they're right fucking there. Yep. And I've never had to wait more than three or four minutes for one. I've also. And so I just do that. I've defaulted yellow cabs recently a few times. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. We want more convenience, and for many years, hey, ride hill apps. I mean, Uber was original were more convenient. But at a, beyond a certain point, you know, the pendulum shifts back and pricing availability well, cer- and certain traffic. certain circumstances, yeah. right? You yeah. know, if, if I'm at my house, I'm using Uber or Lyft because I, you know, the idea of calling a cab and then not knowing exactly what time it'll be there, mm. you know, that convenience of that app is hard to deny. But at the same time, it's also... Uber and Lyft have unquestionably caused more congestion in my city by just being more being cars that are just driving mm-hmm. around. Um, unquestionably caused more traffic at the airport, which is how they ended up with this off-site lot in the first place. <laughs> and now that that off-site lot is there, it, it, by the time I get to that lot, I might as well just get in the yellow cab because there it is. It is interesting. Uh, I think soon, I don't think we've seen it yet, but soon we will see a really good history of the last, say, 10 to 15 years of ride hail and public transit. Because we, uh, I'd love to know how many more cars, Mark, how many more cars were put into city streets because Uber and Lyft exists than picking up rides as, you know, hail drivers uh, than there were when there were only yellow cabs. And and in some case, like and like the black cabs in London, in that uh, Paris Marx book, yeah. Road to Nowhere, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't, quote, I remember, yeah, I can't quote the number, but it's significant. It's significant. It's significant. And so yeah. you know, it's double digit percentages. There's you know, road space is something. In public road space, there's there's a point beyond which you can't build anymore. Yeah, and if you the tunnels, bro, and you tunnel, just, yeah, you need infinite so, tunnels. You know. <laughs> And so there is, on one hand, you want to increase throughput, 
And the best way to do that is a train. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, a bus. And then after that, walking. And probably somewhere near the bottom <laughs> is, is more a, cars. A, a, an individual person in a car. Yeah. However, because of the uh, geography of this country, which is different east to west, there are entire cities where people live in places that are only accessible by car. Yeah. So that tension between those two very different geographies um, is in is where new technologies are trying to land to find product market fit, which is why the notion that any one technology can solve everything for everyone makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, AVs will be a lot more useful and effective in some places than others, and anyone who tells you otherwise is looking for a headline and yeah. not a solution. Uh, that's why, you know, if... Do, if you, do you feel that Americans are ready, are really ready for the sharing economy of shared AVs? I feel like so many people well, some, love their cars. Some people are. But, yeah. I, I mean, look, there are people of all political persuasions who do, um, you know, pool rides of their kids to school. Yeah. <laughs> um, who don't aren't going to hire a driver and they have to go to work. So they're not taking their kids to school themselves or they're taking turns with their parents. You know, in Miami, uh, where I live, you know, I talk to people in different neighborhoods and one of the questions I ask and I want to know, Argo wants to know is, how many people in this neighborhood can't don't have a car and it's a hard for their kids to get to school? Or if they have a car, they can't take their kids to work in their car themselves because they have to get to work. And how, what is the social structure, what is the informal social structure in this neighborhood which allows for um, sharing or pooling to exist for kids or the elderly? So uh, that answer is different in every neighborhood. And it, an app doesn't always solve it. And in fact, it's probably been going on for decades without an app. Mm -hmm. And that is something that AV <laughs> might solve if you ask in advance where it needs solving yeah, <laughs> and then provide that to those people here because if you drop a fleet of cars that are autonomous on a city without asking in advance can you use them do you want them who needs them that's the bird scooters yeah that's they just, they, yeah. we just woke up yeah. one day and there they were yeah and then they were gone <laughs> you know one of the, you know we all then I they mean, were thrown into the river yeah. <laughs> any student of history of transportation history knows that uh that going into it, uh, going into a city plan in general, were good intentions. Not always, but in general, obviously, are people with bad intentions who mm -hmm. will bulldoze a minority or immigrant neighborhood to build a highway. Yeah, bad intentions. Segregation like, by it, design on Instagram. It exists. Look it up. So, the um, the notion that you can drop technology in a city just one time and hope for the best doesn't work. Uh, it's it's also inefficient. Uh, it's nice, it's headline making, fleet deployed in city. But in reality, what is valuable is, are you, are you putting vehicles where there's demand, and but also um, improving the city for real? Yeah. If you only ever, you know, move tourists, you're just moving, you, well, the hotels benefit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe local restaurants benefit, but do the people who live there benefit beyond people who work for the hotels and restaurants? Yeah. And so you want to do something about transit deserts. And you also, you want to know in advance. It's very expensive to have a depot and a bunch of cars that no one's riding in. Yeah. And it also, you, you want, look, imagine uh, two companies arrive in a city or four 
and they all offer autonomous vehicles, and they're all equally good. Just suppose. Well, which one, which company are the people of that city going to want to use? They're going to want to use the one that arrived in the city, and before they deployed, that company said, yeah, yeah, ask permission, said, who needs help? How can we help you? Yeah. Because what if we don't just service the tourists? What if we also do this neighborhood? And what if we start with, you know, paratransit? Like yeah, my yeah. mom's getting older and she can't drive. Yeah. So, like, paratransit services are usually not great. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm a fan of, you know, the notion that autonomous vehicles aren't necessarily going to um, just be a driverless car. I think there's going to be like a universe of new companies is going to emerge around them. And there's, there's a company, a very interesting company, and I guess I'm kind of plugging them. I don't know them. I have no relation with them called Get Papa. Uh, it's it's basically assistance for your parents yeah. on demand. Sounds good. And it's a Miami-based company. And, uh, you know, if you need someone to help your mom with groceries, you need someone to help take your dad to the doctor, they, they, they'll do and things And these like are that. humans. Yeah. These are humans. They'll provide a, a person. Human a, yeah, yeah, human oh, yeah. in a car. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and so um, they may or may not have a car. Yeah. But you, I could see if you glued that together with an autonomous vehicle fleet, that would solve a huge problem for me and my mom. Who just, she just spent the summer more, with me. More than a human driving car? Well, my mother... Uh, does not know how, you, how to use the Uber or Lyft app. Oh, okay. She has no idea. Yeah. And she doesn't speak Spanish. And in Miami, it's very tough to get a driver who, uh, who's perfect, you know, fluent. Let's just say my mother, her, my German, German accent, accent and mom is German just, accent. it's not going right, to land for her. Right, right. And so... Um, I'm getting questions ready. Go, go it's on. It's not going to land for her. And so, you know, there is a clear use case for entire, an entire swath of the population for whom no solution, exi- no elegant solution exists today. Sure. So, there, if there are, there's a universe of opportunity for companies that are honest about what they can do and go look for that product market fit. And there's a universe of disappointment for people who think no one's ever going to drive again, no one needs to own a car again, and these things are going to solve everything from heaven. No technology in history has ever been like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like. People promise jetpacks. We're yeah. all going to have jetpacks and flying cars. <laughs> yeah. uh, look at the Jetsons. Yeah, it's just it's silly. Yeah, and it's not helpful. No, but I I think it, it, if you look at AV as a solution for a person who can no longer drive, well, the thing is, is a good. That's a good. I, I can't. I'd love to own a car that would, in some circumstances, just do the driving. I'd love that. Yeah, I also would I'm love. In some, I'd love to for AVs to oh. show up reliably and on time. JF just texted me and says, "At your door." While I look at the questions, real quick, will you unclip your microphone and go look at our door? Sure, I will. And see if he's mm-hmm. there. <laughs> Slate. Then I've got. Don't open all the way. Okay, well we're still recording. Let's see if JF is there. Oh. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, man. Is he coming outside? He can't come outside. We're podcasting. Come on. What's going on? Don't say We are recording. Don't say something really important. Uh-oh. I lost my fuzzy. Oh, I love the setup. So. <laughs> this is how we do it. This is ghetto. It works. Okay. The, um, 
And so another thing, to, and this is, you know, I, yeah. every time I reread these histories of other technologies, I learn something. There are driver shortages. Yeah. And there were, uh, in the late 19th century, labor shortages for elevator operators. Oh, you're talking about this yeah. last and show. I, yeah. I actually didn't realize the extent of it. Yeah. And so they, they, Otis acquired a number of companies doing automation for elevators because they couldn't fulfill orders for companies who were buying elevators and that had operators. manual controls. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that tension lasted for decades. Uh, and I, I had no idea. The, I mean, I always try to say that I am not trying to plug my employer because I'm trying to be agnostic and like a good, a, a good faith operator. But you know, there's going to be mixed fleets of AV and human ride hail vehicles for a long time. Yeah, I bet. And that's going to depend on the city and on a lot of other things. Yeah. And it, it's just. The notion these the that any of this is binary is just silly and unrealistic. Yeah. And the 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 greatest business success will come for the companies that outlast the hype and actually deploy solutions that work and under promise. Yeah. And over deliver. Sure. I like that. Uh, we got a few questions from the Patreon. Of course, patreon.com slash the Smoking Tire Podcast. Get the show live when we're not in a hotel in Germany. Uh, you can uh, get, listen to it without ads, ask questions of our guests, and of course you get an extra show every month. Uh, Ryan Morris says, Alex, I lived by Argo's location in Pittsburgh. Uh, other than CMU, why is Pittsburgh a good location for testing? So just where Brian Seleski lived, is that the only reason? Well, other than CME, that's like saying, other than the ocean is full of water, <laughs> where else is good for fishing? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's a pretty big reason. Yeah. And that's the reason. Is there something about the geography of Pittsburgh like, as well? Uh, you know, uh, okay, I'm, I'm making, un yeah, of course. I mean, Pittsburgh is a, um, it's a complicated city geographically, uh, very hilly with all four seasons. Yeah. Uh, you will learn pretty much everything you need to know about all four seasons in Pittsburgh plus hills and geography. It's very tough. So that's good. Tough, okay, yeah. so yeah, there is something yeah, about it. A, a lot. Also, what's your favorite restaurant in Pittsburgh? If you have one. Uh, I'm a big fan of Denoya's Eatery okay. on the Strip. If you enjoy Italian food, and but especially if you don't, all right. <laughs> you will enjoy eating there. Good plug. Uh, yeah, it's a really good spot. Uh, Derek Yegan, what... European forbidden fruit cars have you seen this trip that got you really excited? Well, I was at the Alpina factory yesterday and they have something called a B5 Touring, which is a three series wagon with the engine from the B8. Mm. It was a 620 horsepower twin turbo V8 in a three series wagon and it is fucking delightful in every way. Yeah. I. That is superior. That excites me. Uh, the car you're driving, that thing, that the V8, yeah, that thing is In crazy. Oligarch green. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know the. Uh, I was shocked at the woman in the park, the older woman in the parking lot. Nice car. People are really <laughs> yeah. into. I think it's because we're in Bavaria, 
is BMW land here. Yeah. But people are very into that Alpina yeah. in this part of the it, world. Um, that's, uh, yeah, it's really fancy. Uh, Randy says, as Alex is someone who's held both uh, EV and gasoline cannonball records, uh, will an EV ever beat the gas record? And how long do you think it will take for, someone, some, for that to happen? Uh, I was asked that exact question last week at the Global Cannonball Reunion. And I alone, in a room full of people, said, yes, absolutely an EV will break it, but uh, I can't give you a timeline. Not with our current rate of charge. So, no. I think we need... So if, let's say, a Lucid... Yeah. With a Lucid with 500 miles range and a perfectly operating Electrify America network. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. 350s at 350. Yeah. yeah. If it was perfect, I think a Lucid could go in like 35, 36 hours? Yeah. 37, maybe? Yeah. I, I, Mate Ramatz told me the Nevera can charge at 500. Okay. And I go, where is there a 500? And they go, at our factory. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, if you, so if you take the Irwin Baker times from 1915 through 1930 Uh and you chart his record and the time dropping based on the construction of gas station networks and then you you overlay that against the the uh, drop in cannonball electric cannonball times i think we are one we need one more generation of Of car of car and one more generation of charger so call it within 10 years 10 years okay because we've reached the physical limits of Driving, yeah, of tire safety, yeah, given road quality, yeah, and traffic density for a safe drive, right? Uh, I, we pretty much covered Nick's question before. Uh, RD Speed Garage wants German tourist recommendations, they're going to pick up GT3s from Leipzig, and what should they do? Drive in the mountains, go south to Switzerland and Italy immediately. And then eat, eat lots yeah. of pretzels. I, I would also suggest unlimited sections of autobahn. Uh, there, there's a the I think what's called the Richter Playground Factory. There's <laughs> a company that I think it's named Richter. Is that right? Richter. Which they are one of the largest, most respected designers and manufacturers of playground equipment. Okay. And they have a facility not far from here, where you can see on display all the different types of playgrounds. God, if my wife was here, <laughs> she'd be like, give me the car keys. And <laughs> she'd, uh, be, she'd be there already. If you go on uh, Twitter and um, look for Tara Pham, P-H-A-M. Uh-huh. She's the founder and CEO of a fascinating company called Numina. Uh, and she told me about this place. And for anyone, the child inside of us, will want to see this place. I want to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And find yourself uh, in Austria, do some uh, alpine alpine coasters. Mm-hmm. Those are the jam. Um, Strom Speed, we haven't heard any speakers yet, so we don't have an answer to that question. We just got here. Uh, top pick for an Autobahn car. I mean, anything that'll do 200 stable. This, this Alpina B8, I saw 294 kilometers an hour in that yesterday which is pretty strong it's a pretty strong number in 2007 I was on the gumball 2006 on the gumball 
with a friend who had a Bentley GT. It was that raining. Is superior. Yeah, it was raining yeah. heavily, and we looked at each other and said, "We should slow down. <laughs> we should slow down because 250 kilometers an hour might be excessive. Let's slow down at 220. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it'll be okay. So we slow down 220, and a car approaches from behind, uh, in the left lane with lane of flashing, and and it and and so we moved to the right to let them pass, and it was like. A Renault Five Turbo, like yes. an old one. Like, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So it is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. If you have the skill. <laughs> also, nine eleven Turbo. Yeah. Nine uh, eleven Turbo S. Well, look, all of our gear has made it through the show. We didn't have any batteries mm -hmm. uh, die, so we'll have another show possibly uh, from my balcony in room three hundred three. At uh, the Das Tegern Sea Hotel. It's quite lovely here. This view is fucking epic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, Alex. Thank thanks you. for introducing me to the people who invited me here. Uh, thanks they to were, JF for standing in the corner. Let it be said, they were all <laughs> fans of yours uh, from long before I made the introduction. So. Well, thanks for coming.